I get to the set, I'm on the mark, I'm in wardrobe, I haven't even looked at one line I've got. All I know is the scenario. And all of a sudden I pick up, a uh, lady walks by and said, would you like to see some sides, Mr. McConaughey? That's a small version of, this, of the script. I said, yeah. And I guess I said, yeah, because I was getting a little nervous about my plan of not preparing, right? So I look <laughs> at the script, I look at page one, page two, page three, page four. A four page monologue. Ooh. Coming out of my character's mouth. Ooh. In Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Brothers and sisters, my name is Kirk Franklin, and I come to give you good words. Let's go. I'm so happy to be joined by a fellow Texas boy. Listen, y'all, this is Uvalde's finest. Everybody knows where Uvalde is. Don't y'all act new. You've been there. You've got the mug. <laughs> of course, you probably know him. You know, he's got one of those statues. You know what I'm saying? One of those, uh, uh, let's see, what they call them things. They call them things, I think they call it like an Oscar. And I think that he is one of the most swaggiest white boys on the planet. You know what I'm saying? He's got so much drip, so much sauce, even when you see him behind the steering wheel in the Lincoln car commercial is like he's so drippy look at him he's so ice cream cold y'all I mean you may even know him he may even taught one of your classes at UT Austin I think that he is incredible y'all he's one of the greatest thespians of our time I am a super super duper duper fan please ladies and gentlemen welcome to good words the Matthew McConaughey Great to be here, Kirk. Now, listen, first, how's Miss Camilla doing? Kids, everybody, how they doing? Everybody's doing relatively well. I mean, um, Camilla's doing well. My three children, they're still doing the remote schooling because we're trying to be pretty conservative on the quarantine. And uh, thankfully, we have the ability to do that. Um, two, we have my 89-year-old mother with us. She's been in tow with us for now 10 and a half months. Wow. And as long as she has some Kendall Jackson at 6 p.m. and a book to read all day, <laughs> she's easy company. If we she's running out of Kendall <laughs> Jackson Chardonnay and she ain't got a book to read, it's hell to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, and I want to be very transparent and vulnerable with you because I've had many nightmares and sleepless nights. I've gotten up in the morning and like sweats um, and I've got to be transparent. I got to testify to you, brother. Come on. I want to ask you to forgive me because for a long time, Mr. McConaughey, I did not like you. I was jealous of you. I was jealous of you because you are my wife's vanilla crush. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I understand why I was not at the top of your mind and list as far as like, oh, I like I like him. I understand. I wasn't trespassing, though. I wasn't trespassing. You listen, because you were my wife's vanilla crush. Every time I seen you on something, I'd be like, ah, he I he I I'm glad it got stuck. Yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm glad it got stuck in that Dorito uh, situation. Is <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it got stuck up in there. I, you know, I don't really care for So my question to you is, since we're Southern boys, I want you to keep it honest with me. You're my wife's vanilla crush. Uh in your time before the beautiful Miss Camilla, did you have a 
a crush on any of the melanin sisters? Have you ever had a crush on a beautiful black queen? That, you know, if you were single, is there one out there that you would maybe take to Dairy Queen or to Whataburger? Oh, yes. And with multiplication table on the end of that. <laughs> so my, origi my original crush growing up was uh, uh, Lisa Bonet. Oh, 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 don't play with me. Don't play with me. You know, and I say that now at 51 years young and I go, yes, young Matthew, you did have <laughs> a wonderful taste. And, uh, you know, uh, oh, I had a crush on Miss Tammy Smithers. I know you're out there. You're out there. <laughs> Waitress at the catfish station it was all black food <laughs> bar and it was her floor. She got all the tips and here comes Number one, not a female, but a guy. Number two, a white guy who comes in to be the other waiter in the place. Well, uh -huh. I talk about trespassing. She deemed me as I was trespassing. Anyway, I never beat her in tips. Um, but Tammy, you were the queen. You ran the floor. I tried to get a kiss from you so many times. The closest I got was about an inch away from the corner of your lip. One night, I got right there. It's as close as I got. Couldn't We went out as friends, but that's as close as I got. Listen, let me tell you something. For you to say Lisa Bonet, I'm letting you know right now, you're invited to the cookout. You are officially invited to the cookout. Now, as I read in your book something that just kind of blew me away, and I got to ask you, now, first of all, with Southern boys, me and you both Southern boys, and in the South, we normally have nicknames, you know, like Lil' Man or Pookie or like Trey Trey. Uh, did you have a nickname? Nicknames for whatever reason. I love giving nicknames. I've been told I'm a great nickname giver. For whatever reason, though, I've never had a nickname for me that stuck. Closest nickname that's ever stuck for me is people call me McConaughey. Last name, McConaughey. I did have, though, from my brothers when I was younger in Uvalde on Getty Street, I'd be playing in the front yard under that pecan tree in that St. Augustine grass and the hot Yeah, buddy. Summer. Trying to get my yeah, toes buddy. deep down to the roots of that St. Augustine where it was always cool, even though it was yes, hot sir. outside, right? And I'd be <laughs> out there in my little cutoff jeans, and I, I was kind of had a big old butt and a big old belly. And my brothers <laughs> would drive by in a car, and I'd be out playing, and I could hear way about a mile away, I'd hear this. And as it got closer, it'd get louder. And I'd look up, and they'd be right out there in the car coming by. Butts out the window, mooning me, and just when they get in front of the house, I'm about to hear this. No, 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 Batman! Oh, are drive, you serious? Are out. you serious? I'd, I'd pick up rocks and chunk them, and oh my gosh. So that was my nickname that stuck for a while as a kid, Batman. So ladies and gentlemen, he's had a crush on a black woman. He's just let us know that he's got a black booty. I love it. This is wonderful. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. He's got an Oscar and all. It just feels good. And I need to know also... So is it true in your book that you wanted to go to Grambling or you applied to Grambling University? I did. Now, do you know what Grambling University is? Absolutely. That's why I applied there. Okay, you got to break that down to me. Break that down to me. Well, I was interested even at seven, at, before college. I, you know, I just told you I worked at that black bar. I was the first yeah. white and the first male to work there. I had interest very early on in trying to mix cultures, uh, mix races, wow. trying to find the common denominator on what would be perceived as someone other than. So I wow. was like, you know, very early on trying to make choices of like, well, wait, where would I go that would be an experience? 
And I was like, well, nobody. I mean, what if I went to Grambling? I remember going, I could be the first and only white guy in a fraternity there. That will be more than a scholastic wow. social experiment, even. And I was very interested. I was very sincere about possibly going there. And trust me, I got notes back, you know, questioning exactly what you said. Do you understand? <laughs> do you understand? Yes, I do. You know, you know, and so that goes along with, you know, that year I took off to go to Australia. I went to a strange land two weeks out of high school from working in Catfish Station for three years and making the friends I met there. And I mean, crossing what a lot of people would see may have been a barrier or no, that's a different tribe. That's always mm. been interesting to me, to and fro, back, back and back. Wow. And now, me and you both know that where we live has not always had the most beautiful history when it comes to race. And you and I are the same age. You got to tell me, being in a rural part of Texas, where did you get that from? Where did that seed of wanting to unify come from for you? That's a good question. Because um, it wasn't like, you know, it was it wasn't something that was like pounded on me from my parents. If you got to do this. But yet the opposite wasn't pounded on us either. It was mm. uh, we were always raised on. Uh, I don't care what you look like, don't care what you sound like, what's a person's character is what they ought to be measured on, no matter what. And so I was living in a world and going, oh, well, you know, the immediate tribe around me is mostly white. I was, let me tell you this, I was the kid in high school. I, I'm not a guy who likes getting fights. But the three <laughs> fights I got into were taken up for the underdog in the situation. They were, wow. were defending who everyone thought was the... A uh, gothic lesbian in the school, and she was the mm. only one. I don't know if she was lesbian or not, but everyone put her as an outcast. I was friends with her. I defended her and got. I ended up getting a fight over her. I got in a fight for defending the nerd on the front row who people would just pick on and thump on the head going by. I got in a fight for for taking up for this young black kid who was shorter than everybody, and everybody used to pick on him. That was probably me. That was probably you me. Remember that back in 1986 <laughs> at Long High School? Thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. <laughs> at the same time, I was the guy who was very popular in the student council, on a golf team, one most handsome. So I was in the so-called popular groups, but I always had friends and, and enjoyed taking up for whoever was perceived to be the underdog. Ladies and gentlemen, if you notice, he just reaffirmed to us that he's always been handsome. So um, he just dropped that in real quick. He, he tried to act like we didn't catch that, but we did catch that, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next question, brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> so so now, you know, you are the disrespected actor, producer, college professor, and now you got this book. But out of all of that, out of all the things that you've done, Matthew, you say that the biggest goal that you've ever had was to be a dad. Now, that term for me brings a lot of trauma because I've never seen a healthy father. I've never experienced it being, you know, kind of where I come from. Is I need to know from you, out of all the things that you've achieved, why did that burn so deep in your heart? Right. Well, I remember very specifically, um, you know, my dad was a big sirs, ma'am, please thank you guy. And so when he would introduce me to his friends, I would always look up, look them in the eye, shake their hand, nice to meet you, sir, nice to meet you, sir, et cetera. And I understood that one, I was doing that out of respect for my elders. And I understood that, mm -hmm. but I remember specifically, mm -hmm. I was eight years old and I was meeting a couple of friends of his. And as I shook their hand and looked up to him and looked them in the eye, it hit my eight year old mind that, oh, the other reason, the other common denominator that's true across everybody I'm saying sir to is that they're fathers. 
And so my mm. eight-year-old mind, I went, oh, that's when you made it. Oh, wow. that's the coolest thing. That's when you're a success. That's when you're a sir. Wow. Is you're a father. And as you know, you're you're a father now. Making yeah. the baby don't mean you're the father. Amen, brother. Biologically, you can check that list. But being a dad, being a, dad and being a father is a verb. <laughs> the word yes, gets sir. started once that baby says, wah, wah, wah to the world. <laughs> Preach, brother. Preach, brother. You know, that is a beautiful observation that you were able to make as a youngin. That is so dope that you connected this level of honor and for you to have that, you had to have that for your daddy. And like reading your book, you are really this family guy. Like your family means everything to you. You know, like your moms, your pops, your brothers, like y'all were this close-knit family, right? Very. Yeah. I mean, look, we were a loving, very loving family. We never had the question whether we loved each other. We had a lot of days where we said, I love you. I don't like you right now. Mm -hmm. We had... Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of hug, more hugs than we had whoopings for sure, but we had them <laughs> both. And, um, you know, blood was thick. It's hard to find things that are non-negotiable in mm. life. In my family, it's always been non-negotiable, the love we have for each other. My mom and I were estranged for eight years after I got famous because she wanted my fame more than I did. Well, <laughs> we didn't talk for eight years that much. Wow. I still called her on Sunday. I just didn't say as much, right? Because if something, if, but if mom would have needed me, if it would have been one of those things like, mom needs you, you just drop everything and go, well, it's my mom. Hell yeah, heck yeah mm -hmm. I'm going to go help her out. You can say hell. I want you to know that you can say hell. It's okay to say hell. Yeah, you know what, though? The reason I, I, I try to, I like to do sometimes where people use the word hell. Like it was a hell of a run or it was a hell of a game. I like to uh -huh. use the word heaven. It was a heaven of a run. It was a heaven of a game. Gotcha, you know, gotcha, gotcha. It's an upside. So gotcha, gotcha. That family's just always been a non-negotiable for us where if somebody was in need. And my family is very clear about if somebody's riding too high, we will squash you down until you cry, uncle. And then we lift you right up and pour you and serve you your favorite drink and go. Mm. Mm. You know, you have this angel that I'm hearing you talk about as well, and he and I have a lot in common, and that's your brother, Pat. Yes. Yeah. It's, I was adopted as well. Talk to me about Pat. Yeah, so P-A-T, man. He's my good luck charm. If I think about Pat or do something with Pat and listen to Pat, I, I, it, it's never been wrong. Mm -hmm. So my oldest brother, nicknamed Rooster, is 66 <laughs> now. What's his, what's his nickname? Rooster. Because <laughs> no matter no matter how late he'll stay up at night, he still wakes up at sunrise no matter what. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Rooster. He wanted, for his 10-year-old birthday, a little brother. Well, I th evidently he told my mom and dad that, you know, inside of nine months. So it wasn't biologically able for them to do it. So they were like, right. well, let's go adopt one. So they go to Dallas, uh, the Methodist home, adopt Pat, bring him home. Happy birthday, Rooster. Wow. Then... Seven years later, I'm born. Now, mom and dad had tried to have children after that and couldn't. So she gets pregnant with me, thinks I'm a tumor for the first five months. <laughs> and then as soon as as soon as they find out her five months that, no, it's not a tumor, there's a child in her belly. Dad's like, well, I was, my sperm hadn't stuck for the last seven years. Whose is this? You know. <laughs> so anyway, it was his and it was me. That, here I come to say hello to the world, November 4th, 1969. Now, by that time, my older brother Rooster's moving out of the house. But Pat is seven years ahead of me. 
enough separation where we really don't compete. I mean, he's kind of, he's the big brother and he's going to win whatever it is. He's still got seven years on me. But he was my mentor, my hero. Mm. He looked after me. He entrusted me with things. He let me get away with the innocent things that a big brother can let you get away with that maybe mom and dad don't because they're innocent enough. He mm. uh, taught me how to dance. He taught me how to ask a girl out on a date. He taught me how to have manners. He taught me uh, how to be an athlete. He taught me how to be, in those days, cool. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, he was... Uh, He's, I always always looked up to him and still do in, in many ways. And of all of the people in our family, damn if he hadn't had the worst luck. Mm. He was, you know, he was a he was a player in high school. Dated, he mm. was cool. He he dated the girls and stuff. And boy, when he fell in love, he fell in love and, and he found the right one for him. He was a one-woman man from that day on. And like a doggone year after he was married, is is uh his wife. Had a crazy car accident. She was driving with three girlfriends to go to Hallsville to get Christmas lights. And the storm picked up and it blew a pine tree over. While they were driving, 40 miles an hour and the pine tree came over on top of the car, killed oh, no. her instantly. Oh, and, now that's 19, like 88, I believe this happened. Oh. In some ways, he's still not over that today. How can you be? How can you be? Oh, man. The beautiful part, like a beautiful part. Now, I know he won't mind me telling this because I'm not telling it out of school. He's got a daughter now. Mm. So he finally got somebody he can love as much as he did Lori, his first and only wife, which Again, is beautiful. Uh, you know, I have to tell you the fact that even though he wasn't your blood, to hear you speak so lovingly about him is so encouraging because you know, I'm being adopted kid. I didn't always feel welcomed in the worlds that I was in because I wasn't blood. And and I just commend you, man, that you loved him as deep like his blood was running through your veins. And that just, to me, that's just something that continues just to speak about your family and how dope they are and just this bond that y'all have. And I need to know, does that bond run all the way through y'all that's in you where you do all these crazy Things like flying to Mexico and like wrestling with the tigers and going to Bangladesh and riding yaks and and and, and having fights with llamas and and all this crazy stuff. Like, where did that come from? Where you just do all this? You know, like like is Pat crazy like you? No, no, he thinks I'm crazy <laughs> on that front. He's crazy in other ways. He's radical in other ways. I, you know, I've always, <laughs> I've always had this hunch. And I'll say hope, maybe, that if I go, when I go, I hope it's part of the food chain. I just don't want to be, I don't want to go by being in some random place that accidentally I get caught in the drive-by or something. You know what I mean? I want to be, mm. so I've gone on these, I feel, you know, I never feared for my life in any of those situations you're talking about. I look back and I'm going like, damn, I'm glad you didn't <laughs> now you were choked. You know what I mean? You know, when you get some knowledge about it, I look back at some of the stuff I did, I'm like, geez, if you wouldn't have been ignorant, you might not have survived that. Because yeah. I didn't know. I was like, no, I got this. You know, where if I knew enough, I'd have been like, probably hesitated and blown my cool, you know? Um, we like, look, I'm all for the right kind of risks and and measured ones. And I've been in, I put myself in a position where, yeah, I could have been injured and I have been injured, but never in a position where I thought, oh, this could end my life. Now, especially now that I have children, because a lot of that was when I was single. And you know, yes, you've got, got kids. You. Now we yeah. walk out the door. We're not just walking out on our own. 
We're, yeah, we brother. are still the shepherd. We are still the courier Amen. of the livelihood we got back home being children and wife. And what are those choices we got to make? I got a buddy that says, come on, let's throw the backpack on. Let's go do this. I got to go. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to let you know, brother, I want to free you from thinking that some of the mistakes ain't going to get you into heaven. Like when you lost your virginity and you thought you were going <laughs> to hell. <laughs> I want to I want to let you know that you good, bro. I need to let you know you fine. You, like I, said, I know I you hope. thought I know you said in your book that you thought that it was over for you, but I need to let you know that you and God are cool. Y'all cool. So don't <laughs> Hey man, you know, I I do believe God loves a trier. And, <laughs> and I'm trying. When we get back, I asked Matthew about his spiritual side. More with Matthew McConaughey when Good Words returns. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. <laughs> Once again, man, your life is so colorful. It's just it's just a tapestry of just all of these experiences, including faith and you. So now, was that mama or was that daddy that took y'all to church? Like, you were raised Methodist. Who was the one dragging you to church? Did you fall asleep in church? Like, did you like church? So we all went, but it was mama who was like, it's not negotiable. We're going. Mm. And so mm -hmm. there was no argument about yeah. Daddy. Church on Sunday. It's, we are going to church on Sunday. We're putting on our clothes. We are sitting up straight. And sounds like you had a black mama. The hard, the hard part was <laughs> if you did get dozy, mom would reach over real quietly and just pinch you so hard that it would hurt. Yep. And, it, and then you couldn't make noise, right? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And sit back yeah. up. And so you had to sit there and you had to listen. And part of it, did I like it, man? I don't know. There are some stories I got into, but for the most part, and I try to tell my kids this these days when we go to church. It's not necessarily even about if you like it right now. It is, at the very least, a ritual of understanding that one day a week, we go to a place and we are number two at least. And we listen mm. to the story about our existence. We hopefully do a little inventory on who have we been this last week and think, how could I do better in the oncoming week? How can I hear a story here? and learn something that maybe I can take out and put into practice Monday and be a little bit better than I was last week. And wow. so if you wow. don't get it, kiddos, just keep on coming and it'll so hopefully start seeping in. And at the very least, maybe just create a ritual and an understanding responsibility as they grow older to go, no, there's one day a week that I need to say, this is the Sabbath. This is the day I'm going to go wow. to God and chase my transcendent self. Wow. Wow. Now, well, now, hold on. Hold on. Because now you're getting into the deep part of the pool. This is crazy, Matthew, to hear you talk like this, because 
You know, this is not normal. This is not normal, somebody of your status, to be this vulnerable and talk about their faith the same way you did at the Oscar speech. You right. know, you there, and to hear you be so open in your faith about this speech, and I'll be very honest with you, I've never heard a white individual be open in an environment like that about their faith because it's sometimes easier for our culture to do it. It's more acceptable. And I need to know how do you walk through that stigma about being open about your faith, or at least it seems like a lot of celebrities don't seem to be as open about it. Well, yeah, and you, and you said it because, look, when I said, thank you, God, on that stage, so I saw I, in the crowd, there are many people I have had meals with and prayed with. I saw hands go like this and then get conscious, like, oh, if I clap for that, that may be not the smart decision because my, wow. and then I, I saw hands go back down. Now, I didn't judge that. I don't judge that. I get that. There's zones we play. There's there's things. I'd rather I'd rather they be people that I did get to pray with that didn't clap on the night than clap on the night that never prayed. You know what I mean? Mm, so, mm. look, I'm not a, that's a huge night. I've never been to some extent, I guess part of my authenticity of where what successes I may have had have come from going, that's not the most important thing to me in my life. Yeah, I wanted to win an Oscar. Yeah, I want to be great at my what I do. Yeah, I want to do the best I can. Yes, I felt like I'd earned that and felt validated by my peers to give me that. But that doesn't, that was never my, oh, now I've made it in life. Wow. That's never, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I've tried my best. I don't always do it, but I'm trying to be connected to immortal finish lines. That is a mortal finish line. You know, a very, a, a gold standard, a wonderful race that I won that very few people do. And I respect yes. heaven out yes. of, but that's not something that is the definition of me. Come on, brother. Taking that, you know what Come I mean? Come on, I mean, brother. Ooh. Take the roof off what we're supposed to do. So I'm trying to stay connected with the long game, which is that long money. What are we, what is, which is <laughs> this life and the next and the next and the next. What, wow. what are we doing? What's going on here? Well, first of all, brother, okay, I'm going to give you just a little bit, and I'm going to bring you back of Reverend Bishop, uh, Dr. Elder McConaughey. Now, why does it seem like that Jesus doesn't seem to fit in Hollywood, even when there's so much scholarship available to justify his legitimacy? Well, all right. So I think it's somewhat silly and, and oftentimes hypocritical. Um, so this word spirituality has taken the place of the yeah. word religious. And I try to remind people, not abrasively, but just try to remind is because I talk to people about their spirituality and everything they're saying, I'm going, what's your, you're actually religious. And they go, no, 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 I'm not religious. And I go, well, hang on a minute. So religion has been corporatized in many ways. Religion mm -hmm. has been yeah. taken to a place where it excludes or it includes with exclusivity. And it has been bastardized in many ways. By who? Yes. Us. Yes, sir. Right, so let's yes, go sir. back to the let's go back to the root word of religion. It comes from the Latin word legare, which mm -hmm. means to mm -hmm. bind together, and mm -hmm. re, which means again. To bind together again. Well, if that isn't the definition for unity and what people are calling spirituality, I don't know what mm. is. Because all the mm. people saying they're spiritual are going, I'm for unity. I'm for us coming together. 
but I'm not oh, religious. They're like, well, actually you are. <laughs> yes, you mm. are if you go to the prescriptive root of the word. So beautiful, beautiful. We got people going, beautiful. oh, I'm for science or I'm a believer. Well, now hang on a minute. I believe in science. Yeah. I believe science yes. is the practical pursuit of God. And yes. we're never going to prove God. But that's, we, I think God loves a scientist. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But that doesn't yeah. exclude a belief. Now, I don't know what's the uncaused cause of it all. Well, that's what I'm calling mm. God. I don't have proof. But if mm. we're going to say it was all the Big Bang Theory, well, what created the bang? Yeah, buddy. Whatever, whichever way you want to go with it. So there's yeah, an buddy. uncaused cause out there. And so I, I don't know why it seems to be like, oh, don't bring God or religion into the room. Don't do that. I don't know what it means. Does it, it makes maybe it makes some up some people think that, oh, that means you don't believe in science. Well, no, if I'm a believer in God, it means I, I'm really for science. The two yes. are a paradox. They're not a contradiction. Yes. They can yes. coexist. Yes. So whether you believe or not, don't be trying to shame me or, or blacklist anyone else because they're a believer. And don't Man. be condescending the large percentage of the world, most of the world, who are wonderfully religious. And by saying, oh, they're ignorant because they believe, well, do you, where do you get off? Where does anyone get off being that arrogant to illegitimize someone who says they're a believer? Not to say that believers who also say, I understand the value of science. You're dope. You are so dope. This is so good, man. This is so good. Listen, man, I am totally clear why you're on the planet and why you are so in the term successful. You know what I'm saying? You are a big star, you know? You're the kind of star that can't even go pee without somebody want to shake your hand while you're peeing. I'm quite sure. Like, have you had that happen? Right? Why have you ever been peeing? taking a pee, yeah. <laughs> Why are you taking a pee? Somebody want to shake your hand. And I know it's happened to you, right? And you're like, and you're like, bro, what hand do you want me to use to shake your hand while yeah. I'm peeing? How about a little, <laughs> so, little elbow bump to the left, left urinal? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, it's, I just need to know from you that because you have been on this type of level experiencing all this, the fact that you are now blessed to do things for the people and you can make a difference and you can speak of your faith in a cool way where you're not the weirdo in the room. It's so many great things that you can do. Uh, what you're trying to do is a tough job. But I know that even as an actor, you've had some tough jobs. You know, you've had some tough roles. You've done some difficult things. What would you say was the hardest role as an actor that you had to prepare for? Well, <laughs> I mean, let me define what's hard in different ways. So, you know, losing 50 whatever pounds for Dallas Buyers Club was hard. Yeah. But... Yeah wasn't hard because I made up my mind and got militant about it and just did it, right? Because if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have done my job. I would have been embarrassed. And I would. <laughs> I was like, out of fear of I don't want to be embarrassed, I'm going to do my job. So in ways, that was hard that in that way, but not really, really hard. It's been hard on other times, maybe some romantic comedies where I don't like the script, but the director doesn't want to change it. And I'm going to set every day and battling over going, hey, man, I need my man at the end of the romantic comedy when he comes back to get the girl. I need him to come back with some dignity, man. And <laughs> you've written in the script that I come crawling back and say, take me back or I'll be nothing without you. And I was like, what? What woman wants that man? I was like, hang on, man. Let me come back and stand up and I'll apologize for what I did. But let me have me stand up with some dignity. That has been tough sometimes. And then I've got things that where I went the wrong way about preparing. I tell this story in the book. I'll tell it to you real quick now. 
I go through, I'm in a, about a year and a half period of my career, early in my career, where I am not getting the job I'm going for. Okay. And I'm noticing that the reason is I'm going audition, but I'm feeling tight. So I get offered this job, sight unseen, no audition, come in, and I take it. And I decide, hey, I need to go back to acting of how I started on Days Confused, where I improvised everything. I Days that confused. And I that was just, one of my favorite ones. <laughs> there was no script, right? Let me just improvise. So I said, I'm not going to read the script for this movie. I'm not even going to read the scene that I'm in because I know who my man is. I'll just show up on the set on this day and do what I do. <laughs> oh, my. Well, about I get to the set. I'm on the mark. I'm in wardrobe. I haven't even looked at one line I've got. All I know is the scenario. And all of a sudden, I pick up, a uh, lady walks by and said, would you like to see some sides, Mr. McConaughey? That's a small version of, this, of the script. I said, yeah. And I guess I said, yeah, because I was getting a little nervous about my plan of not preparing, right? <laughs> so I look at the script. I look at page one, page two, page three, page four. A four-page monologue Ooh. coming out of my character's mouth Ooh. in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought I got a bead of sweat that works up on the back of my neck and goes down the back of my neck. And I said to nobody in particular, to the whole set, I said, can I get 12 minutes? And I think in my mind, I thought 12 minutes would be not too long to inconvenience the crew, but maybe long oh. enough to oh learn a four page monologue in Spanish. Because, hey, I took a semester of Spanish in the 11th grade. Well, it was not enough time to learn a four page monologue in Spanish. I went back. I did the scene. I don't know what I did. Too embarrassed to watch it. But I learned a great lesson that day. I was like, no, 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 no. Freedom, again, is not like, <laughs> hey, I'll just go wing it. You got to prepare to have your freedom. You got to take the responsibility for your stuff. Do your study. And so when you show up, you can play and then have freedom. So then what would you say in this climate now where more and more social media TikTok actors are popping up and some of them are like really, really good. I don't know if you've seen some of these kids, but what advice would you give them to break in on the big screen? Well, let me tell you this. Let's talk straight dope here on the, on the, on the beginning to the big screen. There are no help wanted signs in Hollywood. The guards at the gates are there to keep you out, not keep you in. All right. So mm. it's hard to, hard to break into that business. I would say, you know, there's a difference between art and self-expression. All self-expression, no matter how honest it is, does not mean it's art. But I would say that all really good art is a form of self-expression. So if you have a form of self-expression that is artful, that can translate to other people, uh -huh. okay? Now you're exporting something that can be in demand. Because remember, let's go back to the basics, supply and demand. Now, if you can find That's something good. that you have an innate ability to do, that is you are good at it, you love it, and you're willing to work at it and, and hustle for it. That's the sweet spot if you can do it. Look, not everybody's going to be able to be an entertainer or go, go be on the big screen. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. If everybody only did what we loved, unemployment mm. would be through the roof. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes we just got to go do stuff, and I've done stuff through my life where I'm like, I don't like this, but I got to just... I got to just hammer the nail here, man, and keep doing it. Why? Yeah. Pay him a damn rent. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so buddy. I get that too. But if you can find something that you have an innate ability to do, you'll do it more often because you're good at it. And if you're willing to hustle and go after it, keep making your own content. Right now in the world, you have more opportunity to export your content than ever before. You want to make wow. a movie? You can turn on your mobile phone and tell a story in your home today. Finally, this. 
the more you you are, the more original you'll be, and there will only be one mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. So don't try to be mm-hmm. somebody else. Great acting, great performances are not necessarily somebody being someone else. They're actually people tapping into some part of themselves even heavier and deeper is what it really is. So be more yourself. And finally, I want to say this part. These clicks, these thumbs down or comments, everybody out there, millennials, remember, <laughs> just remember, they are going to outlive you. So watch Ooh. what you say. Ooh. They are part of your resume. That's a nugget. Oh, that is a nugget. Now, see, that's a Texas boy. Boy, that's good. <laughs> that is good, sir. So, so see, okay, so you have proven. You have proven that you are just greater than that nice-looking dude behind uh, Lincoln. When you talk about this thing of gratitude that you've talked about in your speech about it's a scientific fact that gratitude reciprocates, what did you mean by that? Well, so... You know, and I say this to people that I pray with, and I've got friends that are atheists. I got friends that are yeah. agnostic, et cetera, et cetera. Me too. So I'll just say, Me hey, too. let's everybody before we let's say our thank you, God, or our thank yous. Now everyone can engage in that. Let, give me something I'm thankful for. Everyone go around the, around the table, say something at the very least you're thankful for. Well, one, it makes the doggone food taste better. It makes the conversation better at the very least. Now, the more things, this is like what I'm working on right now. Check this out. I believe generosity breeds Mm -hmm. gratitude. I mean, the more Mm -hmm. generous we are, we're thankful because it feels good to give, and the person receiving is thankful because they received. So that Mm -hmm. breeds gratitude. Thanks and thanks. Now, thankfulness, gratitude breeds responsibility. Why? Because the more things we're thankful for, that means the more things we're giving more value to. And the things we give value to, we want to tend their garden. We want to take Mm -hmm. care of those things. We Mm -hmm. want them to build and grow and the roots to go wider and deeper of the things we value. And responsibility breeds freedom. Wow. Not entertainment, freedom. Generosity gave you things to be thankful for. And the more things you're thankful for in your life that truly you value, you're taking care of these things. You've got responsibilities, man. And you're building, you're building a lineage of your life and there's an ascension and you're evolving. You're taking care, tending your garden. That's freedom. Mm. Mm-hmm. Freedom's not, oh, nothing matters. Freedom is like, no, I got what matters to me and I'm doing my best to take care of it. That way I go into the world and I have things I am responsible for. It's, you know, if, it, if we didn't have things to be responsible for, all this, what life would be what, for entertainment? Yeah. Kind of burn out at about 35 years old because we didn't have, yeah. we weren't building anything, you know? So now, is this what you mean in your new book, Green Light? Like, are these type of conversations happening in the new book, Green Light? Yes. One of the points in Green Lights is this, is look, you got green lights, red lights, and yellow lights in life, just like a traffic light. We love green lights. They affirm our way. Go, proceed, more, sir. Uh-huh, out of boy. Yeah. Within, we got yellow lights and red lights. We don't really like them, man. Yellow light slows us down, gets in our way, and a red light makes us stop. Oh, man, it's an intervention. It's a, it's a, it's an interruption. It's a jackknife. It's a full stop. Man, it impedes our flow. Don't like them. Don't want them. Yellows and reds. But I find that actually we find out we actually need the yellows and the reds. We need the time, the yellow that makes us slow down, the red light that makes us stop and look over our shoulder, pray, meditate, think about, take some inventory on ourselves. Hey, uh, wh- why do I keep stepping in that same pothole every time I run this race? Well, mm-hmm. you know, my mom's a big green lighter to the fact of like, 
she teaches us such resilience, which is get up and dust yourself off, right? Which is a great value to have. But if all you do is get up and dust yourself off every time you fall down, you're going to keep stepping in the same pothole and tripping. Yeah. So sometimes you got to give yourself a yellow light and go, wait a minute. I mean, look over my shoulder and see why I keep stepping in that damn pothole. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So the next time around, you'd skip it or you dodge it or you dance around it. Um, so green lights are what we love. But I find that in the rearview mirror life, yellow and red lights, those hardships, those crises, actually reveal themselves to have green light assets and our green lights in our future. So now I'm getting excited. Now I'm getting excited about this because now you're giving me some nuggets because, you know, like how have you been able to identify those moments as good for you and use them as fuel? Well, I mean, that seems to be the art of living that I do not have in lockstep, but when I'm doing my best, I'm doing better at them. And that's that, you know, when do we notice that we should slow down? When do we notice mm. that we should stop? When do we notice, you know, at the yellow lights in life that look like they could be a crisis? Sometimes we come upon a crisis and it is, we should slow down because we need to stop and do mm. inventory. Mm-hmm. But other times we need to press on the damn gas and blow that yellow light because that crisis does not deserve our credit. So don't be giving it too much credit. You know, that's good, so, man. That's good. But, but too much of one or the other, we get off balance. Yeah. If we're running every yeah. yellow light, then we're not learning. But if it's we're like stopping every yellow yeah. light, we're wallowing and we're dwelling in our victimhood. There's yeah. an art there. And yeah. I try to I try to make the right decisions at the time. Sometimes, you know, I'm reminded that I need to stop because. Maybe I look up and I go, man, I'm, I'm I'm repeat offending this problem. I keep waking up with the same proverbial hangover because I went to the same damn place and I hung out with the same damn people. Yeah. Well, why Why does the drink I'm having at that bar giving me a hangover, but the same drink I'm having with this other group of friends doesn't give me a hangover? Well, maybe it's not the drink. Maybe it's who I'm hanging out with, what I'm talking about and what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, so but eliminate that place, eliminate that bar and those people because they're not feeding me a green light. They're giving me I keep getting a yellow light hangover in this certain place. You know what I mean? So we got to eliminate some things that don't feed us and give us personal yeah, buddy. ROI. Listen, you are tapping into something that now allows me to feel like I can trust you to ask this question with all of the nuggets that you're dropping. Some people are like me, though. Some people are like me, Matthew, where they come from these environments that you can live in such a place of hopelessness, be in these communities of hopelessness that... You don't even know when the green light will come and and will it ever come. And so my question to you, since you're being so vulnerable and since you are like really dropping some dimes here, what do you say to encourage people that environmentally and socioeconomically seem to live in communities that systemically have more red lights than green? Yep. Boy, I hear you. And it's a a real problem. I think my hunch is that the problem we got to solve here is really about equal opportunity. Because there's a lot of people that do not have the same opportunities that I maybe was born into. Mm. Via where I was born, via that I had a two-parent home, via that I was white, via that I was uh, a symmetrically called a good-looking person, all kinds of little maybe things that these assets, perceived assets opened up for me. There are a lot of people that for their skin, What sex are they? They're not getting the opportunity to either chase down maybe what they're innately good at or get educated at it 
or get that interview with it or meet that so-and-so, that person, or get to that table where they can sit down and meet that person and have that dialogue. How do we create more equal opportunity? Um, what do I say to the people that don't have it? Okay. Hope never goes out of style, hmm. but blind hope, I get it. Blind hope is like, well, what do you want me to, to, to hope my way right on out of, until I'm out of this life? I mean, mm. you know what I mean? And we have that. Mm. We know you've heard it here in churches. I talk about this. I'm raised Methodist. What are we doing in the Methodist church in Longview, mm. Texas? We're saying, thank you, God. And um, let me be thankful for all the things I got. Well, man, let me go to Sunlight Baptist Church in New Orleans. They ain't mm. saying thank you. They're mm. saying, Lord, if I get sick, can you bring me a doctor? Lord, mm. if I get sued, can you bring me a lawyer? Lord, mm. if I'm cold, can you bring me a blanket? They're talking about necessities. That's Not white-collar players, blue-collar players, survival. That's good. That's Not talking good. about assets. Not like saying, let's compound my assets. They're like going, can you get me out of a deficit? That's good. You know? That's good, brother. Keep my head above water. So That's good. one is, you know, when it looks like there's a, it's all a red light. I mean, yeah, you got to keep hoping. Mm. Try your best not to get discouraged opportunities are, are they're there. It's got to, it has to do with timing. It has to do with persistence. It has to do with how can we figure out what things that are, we go, oh, that's inevitable. I cannot change that. So I'm going to quit trying to get that certain thing or doing it this way because I don't think my outcome's going to change. But then again, here we go. What happens when an underserved gets so frustrated that they're not going to get a green light and they go, well, why am I trying, why do I want to play by the rules? Why do mm. I want to go about and, and try and do things mm -hmm. the right way? I, I, if I'm doing something just as well as John Doe to the next me, and he's getting paid a dollar for it, and I'm getting paid 50 cents, mm -hmm. but we're doing the same job, well, why do you keep telling me oh, there's a green light there? That's, that goes back to mm -hmm. certain mm -hmm. inequality, which I understand. Or I try my best to understand. That's beautiful what you just said, though. Let me give you a hand of applause, because I think that the biggest step for our white brothers and sisters to hear is that empathy and the ally, to be able to have an ally that is at least trying their best to understand and to use their influence and their platform to be able to keep the conversation going. And when there is an opportunity to help your fellow man. Right. And I think we all, I think we all need to agree that the only way we're really turning the page is we all got to do it together. Amen. And that means, you know, you, you, Emmanuel Acho, you know, we're talking about, yeah, when I asked him about, you know, about Black Lives Matter, and I goes, well, look, that's the flag right now crossing the bridge to future when we go, hey, all lives matter, early lives matter. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's like, you said it's like COVID right now. That's the one we're in right now. That's the flag that's up. Yes, there's mm -hmm. cancer and other things, but right now, mm -hmm. this is the flag that's up that we need to put a spotlight on it. That's the house that's on fire. The, that's the, the house that's on fire. The other houses on the block matter, but the house that is on fire, we're asking the fire truck to stop there right now. Right. Yeah. And this is why I'm a fan. This is why I'm a fan. I'm a fan of you as a human being. I'm a fan of your acting. I'm a fan of your contribution, your heart, the things you stand for in your faith. You know, and see, the fact that you are so good at what you do. And I want to kind of lift it up a little bit just because you've given so many of these incredible life nuggets. As I need to know with this book, this green light book, is America going through a red light that will eventually lead to a green light? Yes. 
What do you see as America's next green light? Okay. So 2020, red light year, COVID, <laughs> civil unrest, all packaged up in an election year, which I'm calling the, just a big pep rally. <laughs> all the, I mean, you turn on the TV, they're just dealing, you know, people, what are they selling, man? What, 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 are they, what are they selling? Who, we don't know who to trust, man. We don't know who to believe. We've seen this year in business that CEOs of companies are more functional than government. We, we hear people get up and say the right things, but then you feel like they go behind the door and privacy and, they, you know, they didn't mean what they said. They just had their their publicists write that for them. You know what I mean? So they <laughs> you don't know what to, what to believe in. We were forced to press reset this year. We were forced to do inventory on ourselves and reevaluate what we give a damn about and where we want to go if we want to evolve as a people, as a nation. Our floor has been shook after the George Floyd murder. The civil unrest was not on page 14. The floor was shook. Something shifted <laughs> now. How do we turn the page, though, and make sure that we don't look back at 2020 with equality and go, yeah, remember back in 2020? Remember that when we were loud? Yeah. Come on, what's the evolution here? Come on. Yeah, buddy. Where's yeah, the leadership buddy. so we can say, how do we turn the page? You know what I mean? Yeah, buddy. Um, Amen. How do we look back and go with COVID? Hey, man, we may be living in a pandemic future for the rest of our lives. Mm. How do we learn about preparation? Did we learn in this time when we had more family dinners because we were forced to, when we had more time with ourselves because we were Amen. forced to inventory? Yes, Did sir. we come out of this and not snap back to who the hell we were? Can we be a little bit better, a little more true, a little more fair uh, with <laughs> others and ourselves? Now, we got to build our way out of this. So the blessing is the hardship and the sacrifice of 2020. It's on us to can we build out of it to where we look back and go, oh, remember 2020? That's when this was birthed. That's when, <clears throat> that's when this began. That's when <clears throat> the swamp was drained. That's mm -hmm. when it was stripped down to necessities. That's when the voices were heard. That's when the mic was passed around and mm. we heard it. Now, how do we lock arms and go, I'm doing it for me, but I'm also doing it for we. Everybody, it's personal, right? You damn right, it's personal. Well, let's do it together. Wow, I love it. Coming up, Matthew shares a little wisdom like only he can. More good words after the break. Hey y'all, this is Kirk Franklin, and anyone who knows me knows that my sleep is valuable to me. What better way to enjoy a good sleep than with luxury sheets? With Brooklinen sheets, you can experience amazing sheets without luxury markups. Brooklinen is the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They have a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Check this out, y'all. With over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, they are so confident that you will love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. That's right, a 365-day money-back guarantee, y'all. Brooklinen has comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code KIRK to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com to enter promo code Kirk to get 25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping. 
brooklinen.com and use promo code Kirk at checkout. Let's go. You got me motivated. You got me motivated. I'm moving to Ubaldi. I'm coming down here. <laughs> I'm going to come down there and chill with you and your mama. <laughs> Listen, that thing is beautiful. Oh, man. You know what, man? This has been, it has been an honor to hear you drop nuggets, to share your faith, your vision. Man, before you leave, do you mind just dropping maybe like a nugget of wisdom for the listeners? Like maybe one of your poems. I know that you got these dope poems. And what I'll do is I'll give you a little theme music. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? Oh, oh, or you can give me. What was it? I give, I give you a whole new one. We can find a whole new tune. If you get, if you get, get the melody going, we'll get something going. Anyway, yeah, you know what? I'll say that. Whew. Part of writing this book for me was understanding where I'm going because I finally got the courage to look back and see where I've been. I'm not comfortable looking over my shoulder. Never have been. Mm-hmm. But once I got the courage to look back and sit there and go, oh, all that stuff you thought you were going to be embarrassed about? Yeah, pretty embarrassing. But you know what? Now I can laugh at it. All that stuff that I feel guilty about and all the stuff you feel about? Yeah, still feel guilty, feel still shame, but I forgave myself. We got to turn the page. We, we got to give ourselves more credit. If we give ourselves more credit, if we respect ourselves more, if we trust ourselves more, then we're going to respect others more, trust others more, and that's how we can turn the page and look back and go, oh, we tapped into that 11th percent they say we can't tap into. Oh, we evolved. Oh, we turned a page as a people. And oh, guess what? This is fun. It's going to work. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been blessed today by Academy Award winner from Uvalde, Matthew McConaughey. Amen. I am so humbled and thankful, man, that you would do this. You are a big freaking deal. And so for you to take our time to do this, man, I cannot thank you, sir. Your nuggets were incredible. Your heart is super dope. Man, you, listen, man, God bless you, bro. God bless you, bro. You too, Thank man. You. This is fun. Anytime. We could go on for hours. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> a lot of times we live with a lot of red lights and we wonder when will they ever turn green? Well, your delay is not a denial. Sometimes the timeout that is a divine moment is for you to take inventory to look back at where you've been and where you want to go and to refocus and to be able to understand that you are still here because you still have so much further to go. But you can't get stopped and get stuck at the red light. You can't just stay there and complain about not having green lights. Sometimes you got to build your home. 
Sometimes you gotta remember to stay hopeful. And to do that, you must remember you can believe in something bigger than just what you can physically see. Because yeah, there is a spiritual component happening for all of us. There is a God somewhere that cares even about the smallest inkling of your heartache and your pain. God cares for you. And so all the things that may be slowing you down as you're at your red light, it's time to take inventory. What are some of the bags you can get out of your automobile? What are some bags you can leave to the side? What's some luggage that you can let go so that the ride can be a lot smoother? And when you get there, please remember, please remember that you did not get there on your own. So let everybody know that you are strong because of your village. You are strong because of God's grace. And take time out to remember to give him thanks when he blesses you because the thankfulness will keep you humble. It will remind you that if it was not for the grace of God, my life would be a different story. It's beautiful to talk to Matthew. It's incredible to see someone with so many accolades, so much success, still believe that there is a God that has been looking out for him the entire time. God bless him for wanting to reach back and to pull his brother, sister up, no matter what they look like, no matter what they've been through, that's his brother and his sister. And man, can't that be contagious in our country right now? We need a good dose of compassion and empathy. God bless you, Matthew. Thank you for reminding us that God is real and God is waiting on you to get ready to move with your green light. Thank y'all so much for listening to Good Words with Kirk Franklin. Man, if you're loving what we're doing here, please, please take a little time out and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Man, y'all have no idea how much I appreciate that y'all would even welcome me into this space. And I really want to continue on this journey with you. So help your uncle out by showing your support and let's keep putting some good words out into the world. Thank y'all so much for listening to Good Words with Kirk Franklin. If you'd like to support the show, please rate us and leave a review on your podcast app. Good Words with Kirk Franklin is a collaboration between For Your Soul Entertainment, Sony Music, Provident Entertainment, and Spoke Media. We're produced by Trey Jones and Cody Hoffmuckle with help from Alicia Force and Johnielle Kastner. Our executive producer is Keisha T.K. Dutess with Aaliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds. This episode was mixed by Will Short. The rest of our team is Reese Brooks and Michael Havens from For Your Soul, Ron Hill and Phil Thornton from Provident Entertainment. And a very special thank you to the Sony Podcast team. Let's go. Good words with Kirk Franklin.